Good morning. All right. Over the last few weeks, we've had opportunity to uh, hear from God's Word on the subject of one another and how we are in to invest in one another. And we've seen this in many ways through how we're to use Scripture and encouragement. And this week, we come to the subject of prayer. And our passage for this week is from James chapter 5, but specifically from verse 16, which says that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, that we may be healed. So as we come to this verse, uh, let's go ahead and pray to get started. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for uh, your goodness and kindness towards us and having revealed yourself to us. And so, Lord, I thank you that you have given us uh, this relationship with you where we can pray to you, that we are not distant, but we have this opportunity for a real and living relationship with you, to know you and to love you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us from your word this morning. You would help us to build into our lives a habit of prayer and that we would truly pray in all situations and that we would be fervent in our prayer for one another, just as you have called us to. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right. My family likes to go camping, and uh, we've had opportunity living in this part of the country to, as a part of our camping experience, to go on hikes together. And uh, hiking is a lot of fun. You get to be outside and see nature and uh, enjoy uh, fresh, clear air. But if you are carrying a pack on your back, sometimes it can get pretty heavy, especially if you're going a long distance. Or if you're the dad in the group, you may actually end up carrying a few extra things. And so I've had the experience of that, or maybe even a child so, uh, with you. So uh, that can get heavy sometimes, and you feel the weight of it on your shoulders. And after a while, you might become acclimated to that weight to where you don't necessarily even notice it. You don't notice how heavy it is. You, you feel it dragging you down. You feel the, the labor of this weight, but you don't necessarily realize or you've forgotten what it was like to be without that weight on your shoulder. And then you get where you're going, and you take the load off, and suddenly you have a sense of freedom. There's a lightness to not having that weight anymore. And it, suddenly you don't really appreciate the, the lack of having a burden until you take that weight off. And then you realize what a blessing it is to be without that burden. And uh, confession and prayer, uh, there, there's a relation there to that. So you look at something like Pilgrim's Progress, and the uh, allegory in Pilgrim's Progress is he's walking along with this burden on his back that represents the condemnation that he feels for his sin. And there's other imagery there as well, where he's walking through this miry bog called the Slough of Despond, to go to uh, 1600s English. And he, um, he, he's having trouble getting through it. It's muddy, and it's full of water, and uh, it's, it's hard to move, so there's great exertion and effort to make it through this basically wetland area, and you need help to get out of it. And so there is a, uh, a very vivid and real imagery there of the weight of sin in our lives. So I'd ask you this morning, how are you doing personally with battling sin in your life? Let's read quickly from Psalm chapter 32. It's a psalm of repentance, 
And here we see David recording his repentance before God. And psalms really are, they were written for worship, and they're useful for prayer. It says here, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So this week we're going to be looking specifically at James chapter 5, verse 16, which says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray to one, for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And it, we're also going to take a step back. We're going to look at the whole context of James chapter 5 from verses 13 through the end of the chapter, which talks in general to the subject of prayer. And we're going to do that in order to understand what this specific verse means about how we are to confess our sins and pray for one another. And so the main points for this week are that from verses 13 through 15, it talks about how we are to pray in all situations. And then from verses 16 through 18, that we are to plead for one another. And then verses 19 through 20 is that we are to pursue those who wander. And what we're going to see is that James's argument here, one point flows from into the next as you read through this passage. So what we're going to find is that prayer in our life reflects the gospel. It shows that God has done a work in our lives, and it, and it reflects this relationship that we have with God as we turn to God in repentance. And it's a reminder for us of that work. It shows our dependence on God, and it's also an opportunity of testimony to those around us that God is our hope and strength and help. All right, so let's get started. Let's look at verse 13 through 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This says something about the nature of prayer. That it is something that we are to do in all sorts of situations. Whether we are sick, whether we are suffering, whether we are cheerful. That all these are opportunities for prayer. And I wouldn't divorce these from one another. I would encourage you to think of them as uh, being compatible with one another. So when we think of joy in your life, do not think of joy as being completely divorced from suffering. There is a sense in which the world thinks of happiness, right? That happiness is temporary. True joy is lasting because it's founded upon God and his promises. And so when we think of cheerfulness before the Lord, there is a sense in which cheerfulness can be there even in the midst of suffering. And we are called to pray in all of these situations for one another. So let me ask you, stop and think of somebody in your life who may be struggling right now. And can you pray for them? 
Can you come alongside and pray with them? Where is there an opportunity in your life to apply this? See, James is recognizing here that we need help. And if we're to pray with thanksgiving to the Lord, then we're showing that God is the source of our very life. So how does your prayer life reflect the work of the gospel in your own life? We turn to God because he is our only hope. And so there should be great encouragement in prayer as we see what God has done in our lives and how God has answered prayer in the lives of others. We should find great encouragement in knowing, just as I I thank you for your prayer earlier, Stephen, uh, prayer of confession, right? where you reflected on uh, our own sin and the forgiveness and assurance of forgiveness that we receive from God, right? So there's an example of prayer where we see how God gives us his forgiveness and we can be assured of that forgiveness and find comfort. So let's come alongside one another. Just as we've uh, referenced in this series, Romans 12, 15, where we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So how can we come alongside those who are suffering and maybe are weeping because of maybe the loss of a child and equally come along some folks who are joyful at the birth of a child? We're called in all these situations to come alongside those who are both weeping and rejoicing and share those experiences with them. And we can share that as we pray for them in all sorts of situations. So, knowing that we are to pray, why do we neglect prayer? Can you think of some reasons that you have brought up in your own life of why you don't pray? Maybe you're too busy. Or maybe you just feel spiritually dry. Maybe you just don't feel like it. You don't feel the need. You don't feel the burden to pray. And I would encourage you, if you you feel that way, that's when you need it the most. You need to encourage this relationship with God by which you are, uh, you're, you're building your relationship with Him so that that, that act of prayer and talking to God will build a hunger to talk to God, right? So if you've been out of prayer, you may sense that sense of spiritual dryness. But we are called to pray. So maybe you're ashamed. You're ashamed of your sin, ashamed of some past failure. Or or maybe you're bitter. You're angry at someone. And I would encourage you, in either of those situations, if that is why you're not praying, that you just meditate on the forgiveness of God and know that God forgives sin. And if you're ashamed, God can forgive you too. And if you're angry and bitter, then as God has forgiven you, you have opportunity to forgive others. So even in our reasons for, for being out of prayer, there, there's some very simple uh, answers to those. Right? Some people would say uh, that God doesn't answer prayer. 
And I would say that, well, sometimes he doesn't answer prayer with a yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is maybe. And that's all right. And are you willing to give over to God your wants, your desires, and your hurts? D.A. Carson on this subject said, effective prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquiring blessing. We are to pray in all situations. So how can we pray for one another? I just want to give you three practical applications here. Number one is consistency. Seek consistency in prayer. Keep a list. Even if it's just a, a pencil and paper list, that's fine. As long as it's something to help you keep track of it. I know Pastor Adam uses an iPhone app, and that's useful for him. Uh, and some people journal. Some people keep a, a running list of prayer requests so they can look back even years later and see how God has answered those prayers. So I'd encourage you to use uh, some sort of ordered list to help keep consistency in your prayer life. And, and seek a consistent time for prayer. Set aside that time in your life so that it, it becomes a natural habit of something that you do. And at the same time that you try to set aside that time, use every spare moment that you have. You, you walk to the mailbox every once in a while, right? You, you drive down the street, maybe by yourself sometimes. There are minutes in your life that you could be using for prayer. Use those spare moments in your life to pray. Okay, so consistency. Number two, scripture. Scripture can fuel our prayer. And, um, you know, our fighter verse for this week was, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You've made on your might among the peoples. And that, that's a praise from Psalm 77. You can use that to pray back to God. In fact, Stephen just did this morning. Psalm 23 is an example. You know, there's this psalm that talks about protection and guidance. And you can pray it back to the Lord. You can use it as a template for prayer. You can outline it and use it. Uh, you don't even have to say it word for word. There's also these model prayers in Scripture. If you go to Matthew 6 or Luke 11 or John 17, where Jesus prays in front of his disciples. And specifically in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, where he teaches them to pray. If you go read through those, you will see that it's a very ordered template for prayer about having, uh, honoring God, the Father, ha having relationship with one another, and asking forgiveness for our sin. There's some very basic elements to those prayers. Okay, so consistency, scripture, and third, intentionality. Uh, last week, we happened to have studied prayer in our discipleship uh, equipped class, and Anita brought up Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it's a great example of the intentionality of Paul's prayers. Paul, in a number of books, prays like this for the people that he's writing to. And he has this desire for their good and that they grow in the Lord to the glory of God. So listen for that as I read this quickly. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Do you, do you see how it's just dripping with intentionality? He desires their good. And you can pray that way for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord to the glory of God. All right, so having seen that we are to pray in all situations and knowing that the gospel is a foundation for our understanding of prayer and it's set in the context of community, that leads straight to our second point, which is that we are to plead for one another. James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So let's start with verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why confession? What's the purpose of confession here? That's why I opened with Psalm 32, where David is confessing his sin before the Lord and receiving forgiveness, and this is a prayer of confession. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession before the Father brings forgiveness. It brings spiritual healing. And it brings assurance of that forgiveness. So that's why we confess our sins. How insane would it be for us to stay in, in the mire, in that, the slough of despond from uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, the, the mud that, w- that makes our labor so difficult to move through when we could be free of that weight and burden? So confession is turning to God and repentance and that can only come from him. And so we seek his forgiveness and assurance. So we should encourage one another to confess our sins. So then the next question is, why confess to one another? This is not about a priest. A priest stands between the people and God. And Jesus is our priest. So that's not what this is about. Why confess to one another? This is not seeking forgiveness from your neighbor. That's Matthew 18. You can go read that another time. This passage, James is getting at something different. And in order to work with this and try to pull it out, let's look at verse 9. Step back a little bit. I want to compare verse 9 and 16. See how they contrast each other. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then go look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let me read those one more time. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a big contrast there between two different attitudes, right? One is an attitude of superiority towards your brothers and sisters of Christ, grumbling. And the other is an attitude of compassion towards those who are in need and suffering, even suffering under the effects of sin. So isn't it a great encouragement to know that we are not alone in the faith? 
So, oh Lord, may we be a church that's characterized by this kind of prayer for one another, not by verse 9, grumbling, but by confession and prayer that we may be healed. It's like finding common ground in our struggle with sin as we pray for one another. So don't put on a facade. That's a huge temptation for us, isn't it? To put on a face, to pretend that we're not struggling. But think of how powerful this is. What kind of unity would be built in the church as we turn from sin together and we declare that our only hope is found in the gospel. So confess your sins to one another. This is very much preaching the gospel to one another. It's reminding our own hearts of the gospel and how we depend upon God. And so how will you know how to pray for one another? We have to be honest with one another. We have to be willing to be open with our weaknesses. And are you willing to confess your sins? Be vulnerable and open yourself up. We have to build these kinds of relationships to, to build spiritual health in our lives. Okay, so there's some benefits to this. The benefits of praying for one another. Number one, it reinforces the gospel. What I mean by gospel here, because people use the gospel in loose ways sometimes, just to be clear, I'm saying that God created all the world, everything in it. He made us, and mankind rebelled against God. And yet, God sent Christ to die on the cross to reconcile us back to himself and to forgive us of our sins. Right? So it's that forgiveness, it's that seeking reconciliation that prayer exemplifies. Right? And specifically, this kind of prayer, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Number two, it builds unity, because if the church is founded on this kind of gospel unity, we will have the same purpose in life as we work together for the sake of the gospel. And then number three, it declares our trust in God. The church is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? This is not us making this happen. The church will not be built on our slick skills. They will fail. But God does not fail. And that's why we turn to God in prayer in all things. So the passage moving on to verse 17, and even at the end of 16, it's talking about the great power and effectiveness of prayer. Saying that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And he moves to this Story of Elijah. And what do you think of when you think of Elijah? You think of somebody who was fed by ravens, who prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years and had this climactic battle with the prophets of Baal. And God came in a very real and powerful way and showed that he was with Elijah and that he was the one true God in Israel and there is no other. So we, we look at Elijah and we think, wow, big, powerful guy, kind of an important guy, right? But that's not why James is referencing Elijah here. And he makes that clear in verse 17 when he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. His point was that Elijah fundamentally was no different than one of us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And yet he prayed and it did not rain. And he prayed again and God gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. 
See, God was the only one who Elijah could turn to. And God is the only one we can turn to. And so think about this. If you are weary this morning, God is the only one who can truly bring rain and bring fruit in your life. So I'd encourage you to turn to God in prayer for that fruit. There should be great encouragement in this. And despite the effectiveness of prayer as recorded here in James, do we still want to hide our sin? What are we doing when we hide our sin from one another? What's the gospel relevance of that? What does that say about what we believe? You know, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, what did they do? They hid themselves from God. That's the natural response of the human heart. And it's a sinful response. And Jesus, you know, just after uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, just a few verses later, there's this discussion of light and dark. It says that men flee to darkness lest their deeds be exposed. But Jesus is the true light. Christ came to bring light. So are we people that are willing to live in the light and to love truth? Christ is the source of light. And so we'll see if if our hearts are knit together in this kind of unity that we're willing to pray for one another even in our struggle with sin, it follows very closely that we would have a loving desire to pursue those who wander. And that's what verses 19 and 20 are about. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes people look at these verses and they think, oh, they're kind of detached from the rest of the book. You've got a section on prayer and then he's talking about seeking the wandering brother and then the book ends. And in this context, they all flow one from the other. This was there intentionally and for a reason. We are to pursue lovingly those who wander. This is a call to action. See, we must bring back the wandering brother. We must make every effort to do so. Because the one who is wandering is wandering towards death. Spurgeon, always eloquent in his preaching, when preaching on this topic, he said this, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay, and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Do we really value people? Think about somebody who's harsh that you may know. Or somebody who maybe is immature or has let you down. These are the ones for whom Christ died. Remember our contrast between verse 9 and 16. We are not to grumble against them. We are to lovingly pray for them and pursue them. It's a whole different worldview. 
We're not to defend ourselves. But we need to look on them with compassion. And that takes some personal reflection, doesn't it? First Timothy, Paul addressing Timothy in his ministry, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's a certain amount of personal self-reflection we need to do in order to make sure that our lives reflect what we're preaching. Right. And we need to give of ourselves for the sake of others. Just another example here from Psalm 51 of a prayer of repentance. In verse 3 and verse 13. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. That's verse 3. And then in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. See, there's starts with repentance and then there's this, this desire for the good of others and the glory of God. And that follows one from the other. So what about you? How can you have a more deeply abiding concern and love for your brothers and sisters in Christ this morning and this week? It takes time. It takes investment. It takes trust, and it takes gospel. We need to build honest relationships. So if you're not involved in a home group, I would just strongly encourage you to take advantage of home groups and get involved in one. There you will find people who struggle with the same things you struggle with and who will pray with you and have great concern for you. Also, uh, men's and women's ministries. We're starting to get our men's and women's, women's ministries going in the next year. And we already have some small groups of men meeting. Uh, if you're looking for that kind of accountability, I'd encourage you to get with Joe Pelletier or Amy Morris and, and find out about those groups. And if you are struggling with sin, seek accountability. And seek it daily if necessary. Start meeting with a Christian friend and commit to pray for one another. You know, if somebody seeks you out, be faithful to them. Don't drop the ball. It would be so easy for us to do. But remember, there's two sides to this. Pray for one another. We have to be committed to pray for one another. So what kind of impact would it have if this characterized who we were as a church? If people came into our community and this is what they saw, a life marked with forgiveness and dependence upon God and seeing reconciliation with God is primary and it's lived out in our life of prayer with one another and for one another. So, so often the world deals with sin by calling it something else. Right? That's not what we want to do here. We, sin is sin. And yet, often in the world, it's unempathetic to the plight of those who are suffering under sin. We want to call sin good and then wonder why it poisons us. But the church is different. We have a truth to proclaim and while showing compassion to those who are suffering. So we have a common struggle and through that common struggle we're able to pray for one another. It's because of the reality seen through the truth of the gospel that we understand our mutual need of that prayer. So, we must have a genuine concern. 
and be willing to let our guard down. Do you see how the gospel is proclaimed through this? All of us who follow Christ have an opportunity to pursue the wandering brother. This is not a sin patrol. This is not grumbling. This is not verse 9. This is about verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So take joy in this as you pray for one another. We recognize our need. We can be confident in God's forgiveness. And therefore, we know the assurance of forgiveness. Let's pursue relationships that are built on the gospel and saturated in prayer as we spend our lives together. So, what's keeping you from these kinds of relationships in your life? Do you fear commitment to one another? I would say a lot of people you meet will say they want authenticity. And I would tell you that that commitment and authenticity go together. You have to have some level of commitment to one another in order to be willing to confess your sins and pray for one another. So they go together. Real love and real forgiveness are found where the gospel is proclaimed to the glory of God. So let's be people that are characterized by that. So do you fear the revealing of your sin? We need to recognize the forgiveness offered on the cross. Let sin become big enough of a deal to you that you're willing to be done with it. I'm reminded of a friend of ours in the church we were at years ago who said what he looks forward to about being in heaven is being finally free of his sin. And this was a man who, by all accounts, most people would consider a rather holy person. But he was very sensitive to his sin. It was a big enough deal to him that he was ready to be free of it. So, may we be a church that prays in all situations, good or bad, joy and sorrow. May we plead for one another. And may we pursue those who wonder for their good and for the sake of God and his glory. And if you do not know what it means to to have received this kind of forgiveness this morning, then I would plead with you to consider your sin very carefully. Seek forgiveness from God and know that you can get involved in a group of other believers who share your struggles, who understand where you're at, and are willing to pray with you. And I would encourage you to do that, to seek that fellowship with them. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. May we be faithful to pray for one another consistently and faithfully in the daily life of who we are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us a hope found in you and that we can come to you now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Even our weakness and busyness, our lives do get busy. 
So Lord, I, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be faithful to consistently pray for one another, to follow through when people ask us for help, to be willing to give of ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to, to depend upon you in all these things, just as the example of Elijah showed us, and to know that our hope is found in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.